Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With episode 333, that is 33 threes for you, in terms of additions of this, your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and it is Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. We are here to break down everything that happened this week in the world of AEW and NXT. We're talking Dynamite Rampage and, of course, NXT 2.0. We're going to break down everything that happened across those shows and any swirling news around those brands as well. So be sure to stick with us today through all of that. We are wrapping up what has been one of the most successful weeks in getting over wrestling podcast history. Our WWE SummerSlam Instant Analysis is on the verge of becoming the number one most downloaded episode in podcast history. And this past Tuesday's episode, uh, the first WWE shows without Vince McMahon at the helm, Triple H taking over, making his imprint on Raw is on pace to be one of our most listened to non-special event shows in podcast history, along with last week's similar show following the retirement of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. So I appreciate all of you for sticking with us, really grinding as we reach these milestone moments. It means a lot, and certainly we hope there are only great things still to come here from getting over. The way you can continue helping us achieve those milestones is by remembering that this podcast is So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a written review to tell everyone why you listen to the show and why they should subscribe. The reviews are super important. They convince people to download and listen to episodes and they become longtime listeners. In fact, we have a latest five-star review that came in. I'm going to read it on Tuesday's show, but... That person very much basically said, hey, I was looking for a podcast. I came across you guys. Now I'm a huge fan for that very reason. So if you think the reviews don't matter, trust me, they do. Please take a couple moments to leave the five-star rating, but also leave that written review on Apple. It would mean a lot to us. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Not only do we tweet live during all of the shows, we post polls, news, videos, GIFs. We do as much fun stuff as we possibly can to keep you guys engaged and entertained. And we very much appreciate when you interact with us, sending questions and comments for the show. We try our best to read them on air. I think about a month ago, I told you guys we were gonna be more proactive about doing that. Hopefully you've seen over the last couple of weeks that has been the case. We've gotten more DMs, more tweets, and more comments on the air. Actually on today's show, we don't have any, but that is a stark difference from what we have done lately here on Getting Over. One other thing to look out for coming up soon, On Tuesday's next show, the WWE episode, I will be discussing how you all can contribute monetarily to getting over. That is something we usually only do once a year. We're actually well past the one-year mark from the last time we talked about such contributions. So I will be uh, informing you guys the methodology of that. Again, at the beginning of Tuesday's show, our next WWE episode, today we are here to talk AEW and NXT. And overall thoughts for both shows this week, they were good. You know, uh, there's some weeks I come and I do this episode and I'm really down. I don't feel like AEW and NXT are giving us, you know, exactly what we want. There's other weeks where I'm very effusive with my praise, where I think both of them absolutely crush it and deliver great shows. This week was really just, they were good. It was enjoyable watching Dynamite, enjoyable watching NXT, but I will say Rampage. It's a stick in the mud for me. It is it is something that I, I don't want to say I dread it every week. But look, I don't watch it on Friday. And I usually, when I usually put it on from DVR on Wednesday, it's like, all right, how fast can I get through this? And I promise you that is not for me, you know, not liking AEW or not wanting Rampage to succeed. The show is just not being booked well. There is not enough on it that makes me excited to watch week to week. And even on weeks where there is a really good match that's promoted for the show, that only takes me so far. Like the, the remaining 40 minutes of the show It's just like ho-hum, I get through it, and then I get really excited for the match where that eventually airs. But there's just something about the formula that AEW, Tony Khan, are using for Rampage right now that does not work. And I'm not going to get into too much detail on that today. I do want to see what happens kind of through the end of August up until All Out before I maybe give a little bit more analysis on the problems, the specific problems with Rampage. But 
it just isn't hitting for me. And out of all of the shows that we watch weekly, even when WWE is bad, the main roster shows, still Rampage is largely the worst show of the week. And that just should not be the case, especially given how little television time AEW actually has and how huge their roster is and how much potential there is to put on good wrestling television. So with that said, we are going to jump right into the breakdowns of NXT and AEW this week. As always, we will have timestamps in our episode description. If you only watch one show or the other, you only care about one show or the other, I believe it would be ideal, of course, to listen to the entire show, not just because I want you to listen to the entire show, but it's good to know what's happening in one company or the other. And by being able to spend 15 or 20 minutes hearing about AEW or NXT, at least you're caught up on all the storylines going on with those products. Now, this week, because it's one of those rare weeks that is not a special edition of AEW television, I decided to give NXT um, the bump. It is going to go first, AEW second. Again, timestamps in the episode descriptions. NXT opened with the vacant NXT Women's Tag Team Championships on the line. Toxic Attraction, Caden Carter and Katana Chance, Ulisa Leone and Valentina Feroz, and Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley all challenging each other for those titles in an elimination match. I, just off the top, I wish there were more elimination matches for Fatal 4 Ways and Beyond. Four, five, six competitors in a single match. The elimination match structure is so much more exciting. It just builds anticipation if it is a title match and the champion gets knocked out early, you know there's going to be a new champion. There are so many cool things you can do with elimination matches, and no one, in my opinion, does them enough. So this did open the show. Leon threw Feroz over the ropes into the other women, then hit a huge Topecon hero herself. Niall punched Leon in the stomach for the first fall after five minutes. The KCs hit Paxley with a code breaker and a really inventive fireman's carry leg drop with JC Jane then blind tagging to eliminate her after eight minutes. That left Toxic and the KCs as the final two. And we got some pretty good action both ways. Chance ate the high-low finisher, but Carter broke the fall at one. The crowd was standing. It was chanting, this is awesome. Gigi Dolan stopped the KC's finisher. So Chance splashed her outside, then came back in and hit the assisted 450 splash finisher to win the titles in 12 minutes. The crowd popped huge. There was a big celebration with confetti. And then the Casey's were later emotional backstage while they were being interviewed. My only real note on the match is if you're going to do a fatal four-way elimination match, you kind of need to go longer than 12 minutes. It's That's short for any title match, let alone an elimination match where you're having three different falls over the course of the proceedings. Anyway, the title win for Carter and Chance, long, long overdue and extremely well-deserved. They both have been the top of the NXT women's tag team division, really the WWE women's tag team division for so long, they're one of the few legitimate teams that actually exist. They do tag team moves. They have a tag team finisher that is not a high-low toxic attraction, like come up with something. Briggs and Jensen come up with something different. Legato del Fantasma come up with something different. Three teams, the same finisher, but they have something unique and different. They have appeal to the crowd, younger kids, They should have been on the main roster six months to a year ago, but they definitely should have been women's tag team champions a long time ago. And even beyond that, both women individually have improved markedly over the last couple of years. So I've been pushing for the KCs to get their just due. They finally got it. And keeping the titles off of Toxic is only just icing on the cake. My hope, of course, now that I laid this out for you, is that Triple H expands this one set of titles to the main roster and goes back to the old women's tag team championship formula where the champions rotate between the three brands. We barely saw it when those titles were initially created. Eventually, they did make their way to NXT for a couple matches. And then NXT, they basically got called up to the main roster permanently, the women's tag team titles. And NXT had to institute their own version of the belts. That is not necessary right now, okay? You have a women's title on Raw, SmackDown, the rosters there aren't that big. The women's roster in NXT, it's slightly larger, but it's far less experienced. You do not need two sets of women's tag team champions, but you do need one. And that one team should be able to go across all three brands. And the KCs, Caden Carter and Katana Chance, the former KC Nazaro, they are the perfect team to go through that rotation 
until maybe eventually losing them to, let's say, Eosky and Dakota Kai. That, that would be a really good example of, you put that match at like a decent pay-per-view coming up in one, two, or three months, or maybe let's say two or three months, give them a little bit of a reign. You would drop them and then a main roster team has them and the cycle starts over again. So, you know, that's what I hope they do. I don't know that they're going to do it, but that's what I've been pushing for and what I certainly hope will happen. And the good news with Triple H in charge of creative and talent is not that he's listening to me. I mean, I wish he would, um, but a lot of the things I want are a lot of the things he does anyway. So hopefully we do have an opportunity to see that come to fruition. Uh, Mandy Rose fought Saray in a non-title match. Before the match, Toxic threw a fit backstage with Mandy pissed that they lost the tag team titles opportunity. Uh, Saray hit a missile dropkick and a fisherman suplex bridge for a near fall. Mandy soon caught her with the pump knee for the win. After the bell, Mandy shit-talked Zoe Stark through the camera, grabbed a chair and attacked Saray's knee. She was about to sandwich it when Stark made the save with Rose eventually rolling to safety. Half this match, which was short, by the way, six minutes or less, including Saray's badass entrance, was during commercial. Then there's the difference in wrestling talent that was so apparent between these two. I am not a Mandy hater. She has a purpose and a place within the larger scope of WWE women's division. But this title change is long overdue. It needs to happen as soon as possible. All the women in NXT that they have and they job out, and I'm yes, I'm using the word job. They job out Saray to Mandy like this two days before Saray is going to have an NXT UK Women's Championship match against Mako Satomura? That is completely nonsensical. It is just terrible booking. That's the best way I can put it. And beyond that... Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. It is a complete zero. I know Triple H has been busy with the main roster. He has got to get his fingerprints in some way back into NXT at least a little bit. Like, you guys know, I am a Shawn Michaels mark, Brett screwed Brett, I'm a Shawn fan, all the way. I, I even like what he's doing with NXT 2.0 for the most part. But man, they got to figure out how to book this women's division better because the main title, no one gives a shit about it. Rose, she's done as champion. And really the same can be said for the men's main event, main event division right now too. That has been in the mud for a very long time. But this was an indication that either they wanted to keep Mandy strong by getting her a nice win before she drops the title, or they just have no designs on Mandy dropping the title, which again, it has been way too long that she has held this division hostage, both in kayfabe and in reality. There are way too many talented women on that brand that are not getting the opportunity to step up because Rose and Toxic Attraction are in that spot. Uh, Roxanne Perez cut a tape promo about her longtime relationship with Cora Jade. She said she cashed in the breakout tournament contract to help Cora get rid of toxic attraction for good, and she was hurt more than anyone could understand by her heel turn. Roxy said throwing the women's tag team title in the trash was the last straw because they dreamed of becoming champions together. Roxy ended with a one-on-one -on -one challenge for Heatwave. Cora refused backstage. She said she's the talk of WWE along with Bailey and Roman Reigns. Uh, Mandy suggested Cora take out Stark so she could replace her in the title match at Heatwave and also avoid Roxanne Perez. Cora didn't trust her and said she would think about it. This was pretty solid overall. Roxy's promo was very scripted, unnatural, just didn't sound like a real human being. Cora was more solid on her own two feet backstage. And as we suspected, the heel turn, it really is working well for her overall. I'm quite sure we're gonna end up with both of the matches as scheduled. I just kind of want a little bit more from both of these things. Like, the Cora and Roxy feud, it doesn't feel as intense as it actually should, given it was a best friend turning her back on another best friend. Carmelo Hayes hit the ring on his birthday with Trick Williams. Uh, he did a North American Championship Open Challenge. Hayes said whoever gets into the ring first will get the title shot. Giovanni Vinci answered the call, but he took his sweet time because he does his slow entrance with all the pictures. So Nathan Frazier ran past him, got into the ring, and earned the match, and then Vinci went on commentary. This was just a really smart way to play off his entrance and also, also like Frazier's, his youth and his exuberance and his just desire to get this opportunity. So we did get a North American title match, Hayes against Frazier. Mello took a nut shot into the ring post. There was a great spot with Mello springboarding off the ropes immediately after Frazier did for a great flying clothesline. Frazier hit a tope suicida on Mello, but they bumped into the announce table and spilled water on Vinci. 
Trick distracted the referee while Vinci pushed Frazier off the top rope with Mello landing his flying leg drop for the win and title retention in five minutes and 30 seconds. Vinci then posed with Frazier to end the segment. There was no expectation, at least for me, that Frazier would win, but less than 10 minutes of him and Mello wrestling is an injustice. It was such a good match. This was a banger for five minutes. And granted, it was like three extra minutes of action because these guys move so fast, but it wasn't even long enough to grade. Like Frazier is definitely among the contenders to take the title off Mello now. I still lean with Solo Sokoa being the favorite, but if you're not going to have him get another opportunity sooner than later, then why end this in five minutes and 30 seconds? You can do the exact same finish with Vinci and the whole deal. Just let it go 9, 10, 11, 12 minutes and, and have everyone just enjoy the incredible action that these two wrestlers can give us in the ring. Because guess what? Because you've ended in a schmaz fashion, there's a reason to run that match back, especially if Melo retains his title over Solo Sokoa or whoever his next number one contender ends up being. Wesley admitted Trick has gotten the better of him lately, but he explained how disgusting it is that Trick pretends to be Muhammad Ali when he's the opposite of everything Ali meant to sports. Wesley then challenged him next week to a rounds match. I presume that's going to be like Heritage Rules in NXT UK. Later in the parking lot, Trick was explaining the rules to Mello when three women, look, candidly, dressed like strippers, asked if those guys knew how to jump a car. It was as random as it sounds. This match is going to be fun, Trick and Lee. And the short feud has worked for both of them to elevate them as single stars, but it is time for Wesley to just get over Trick and then move forward, maybe even to Mello. He could potentially be that number one contender that I was talking about. Uh, so Solo Sokoa fought Von Wagner in a Falls Count Anywhere match. This was the main event, and they promoted it all show with vignettes and video packages. Sokoa dominated until Wagner threw him into the steel steps. Von body slammed Solo into two steel chairs that parted like the Red Sea. Sokoa later placed Wagner on the announce table with a Samoan drop. They fought into the parking lot where Mello and Trick had fixed that girl's car. Solo shoved Mello in the face. He flew into the back of the convertible. Wagner slammed Sokoa into a dumpster that had a WWE logo on it for some reason. Like that's going to be a meme for many years. I have no idea why they did that. The guys then ran into Cameron Grimes, who was trying to exit the arena. Sokoa ate a side slam into a table for a near fall. Wagner got sprayed with a fire extinguisher before eating a super kick and a Samoan drop. Solo wore him out with a steel chair. He hit a Uranagi into the steel steps inside the ring for another near fall. Sokoa went to splash him from the top rope when Mr. Stone grabbed his legs. Solo headbutted him. Wagner then knocked Sokoa off the ropes. Wagner ate a ring post shot kind of outside and then two super kicks. He fell onto the announce table and Sokoa jumped from the top rope all the way outside through the table with the Uso splash for the win in 12 minutes. This was a really good match that suffered from... An odd segue, let's call it that, in the parking lot. It added nothing to the fight other than the solo and mellow interaction. But that could have happened backstage in a party scenario, in their locker room, something like that. The dumpster spot was particularly absurd, but the match was actually pretty damn good. I went 3.5 stars and a B for just a straight up brawl. And yes, there was a lot of beef flying in the ring. Because there were two big meaty men slapping meat this week on NXT. Big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> so in addition to 3.5 stars and B, I'm giving it four slabs of beef. Sokoa now does stand as the obvious top challenger for Mello, and he should probably win the title from him when all is said and done. Uh, Braun Breaker and JD McDonough had a face-to-face in the ring. Wade Barrett hosted the sit-down. Before Heatwave, JD said he saw fire and intensity in Braun that he wants to stomp out. Some fans chanted boring. No shit. Uh, He said he'd make Breaker scream in agony as he's announced as the new champion. Braun said JD might be his smartest opponent yet. JD then said he'll inflict more pain than Braun can endure. JD refused to sign first the contract, so Braun did. Then JD said to show how serious he is about it, he would sign in blood. He pricked his finger, signed it, and then offered the same hand to shake and Breaker refused. The J.D. McDonough gimmick is completely dead in the water. It's as boring as sin. The scripting is awful. And the conceptualization of the entire thing, it's just shit. He's flailing out there every single time he's on the mic. This is a textbook example of how not to introduce someone. 
What is impressive about Jordan Devlin? His in-ring work. Let him get in there and beat people. Why did this guy deserve a title shot in the first place? Because he lost the NXT UK title opportunity to Isla Dragunov, and then he moved over, so that makes him the number one contender. This is a mess. It's not only terrible for Devlin, but also Breaker, who cannot get a decent title challenger to save his life. I have absolutely no idea what NXT is doing booking its main event storyline right now. It is just like from Joe Gacy, which should never have happened in the first place and then went on too long to JD McDonough. It is just mind numbing. You have all of this crazy talent on your roster. You have Carmelo Hayes, who never should have won back the North American Championship. You have Grayson Waller. If you want to go to a heel that is a top tier contender, but is still a young guy on your current roster, you had two ready-made guys for it. It's SummerSlam weekend. They could have built up an entire NXT special around Breaker defending against one of those guys and maybe even losing the title. The Braun title reign is getting worse and worse week by week, and it is largely because of the challengers that he's fighting, but also because he's fighting people like this, he's not getting the opportunity to grow. He did have that chance against Ciampa and against Dolph Ziggler, but now it's just he's supposed to be the guy carrying the division, and I gotta tell you, when he comes on screen, I roll my eyes. I don't wanna see him. That should not be the case. We were so excited about Braun Breaker just a couple months ago. Now I'm looking to Carmelo Hayes, who I already was all about, and Grayson Waller, same thing, and Julius Creed, the Creed brothers in totality, etc. There's No one really cares about Braun Breaker anymore. That is completely the fault of creative, period. Diamond Mine was training when Apollo Crews came in to offer them support. They said he could visit the dojo whenever he wanted. Then Damon Kemp entered to say Roderick Strong was running late, but they were all sure he would get there on time. Strong never showed up, and later in a tweet, he actually told Cruz to stay out of their dojo. We did get a tag team championship match as scheduled. The Creed brothers against Tony D'Angelo and Stax. Julius took a really sick uh, corkscrew X-Plex. Eight minutes later, he got a great hot tag and tore the D'Angelo's apart. Brutus beat on Stax, distracting the referee as D'Angelo grabbed a crowbar that was handed to him by Electro Lopez. Suddenly, Santos Escobar made his return. He grabbed the crowbar. He punched D'Angelo in the face. Lopez acted as if it was all a setup. Julius came back with his slam. I have no idea what that's called, by the way. And a basement lariat to retain the title in 10 minutes. All of Legato Del Fantasma celebrated together after the bell. D'Angelo lost his cool in the locker room. Escobar has now cost him two different titles. That's the storyline. Santos said they're almost even, and they both know they can't work together. They agreed to one last meet, but this time it would be one-on-one so they could settle their business. This was later called the final accord. Man, oh man, how I miss Santos. Good finish, exciting match overall with strong action. Nothing overly special, but I went 3.25 stars and a B. It's time for something significant to happen with Legato. Hopefully this meet finally results in a loser leaves town match with Legato getting a call up that by the way should have happened over a year ago. That would be the best case scenario. A totally fine scenario is Santos and Legato winning and just completely separating in kayfabe storyline from the D'Angelo family. The worst case scenario would be the D'Angelo family winning and all of them just remaining there. So we'll see what they end up doing. Alba Fire fought Lash Legend. Fire ate a big boot early. Legend grabbed her bat in a cheating attempt, but Fire came back with two super kicks and the gory bomb before hitting the senton bomb for the win in six minutes. Legend is definitely improving, so credit where it's due there, but her name is just so awful. Who wants to be called Lash Legend for their entire career? That's just not going to work. Alba winning was the obvious and necessary booking. Nothing wrong with this. I'd like to see her involved in something more substantial now that this is over. Axiom was backstage excited to be in NXT. Duke Hudson called him undersized and undeserving while putting himself over as having the prototypical size and look for WWE. He treated Axiom like a nerd, so Axiom smacked him across the face. They brawled backstage all the way out to the crowd. Hudson drove him into the ring apron and had a spinning sidewalk slam to stand tall. I thought that was the end of the segment. Then he told fans not to believe in heroes because they always let you down. Axiom grabbed the mic and challenged him. So we got Axiom and Hudson one-on-one. Axiom countered a razor's edge into a hurricanrana that threw Hudson into the top turnbuckle. Then he climbed down Hudson's body and caught him in a pinning combination to get the win in two minutes. All in all, a decent segment. I didn't totally mind the short match because it was kind of the 
culmination of the entire segment, which did go for a pretty long time. Tiffany Stratton got a vignette based on her gymnastics skills and how she's a born winner. I thought when I saw that they were going to maybe move away from the daddy's girl gimmick, but it was the same voice with Stratton reading a very shitty script and shit talking Wendy Chu. They are taking a supreme talent who has an extremely bright future and stifling her with an awful gimmick. Hopefully it's temporary. We got to do something better with Tiffany Stratton. Nikita Lyons caught a promo back at Kiana James after that PowerPoint presentation last week. She basically said she's not shy about being herself. I mean, it was better than what Kiana did last week, but that's not really saying much. Nikita overdoes the whole punctuating your points with body language gestures type of thing. It's really distracting in her promos. I could not give a shit about this feud. She's obviously going to win. Again, when you talk about matches that like, hey, if it's only four or five minutes, I won't really care. If this match is four minutes, I'm not going to complain about it, I promise you. Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen were interviewed backstage when the schism interrupted. Joe Gacy talked some shit and kept referencing Cameron Grimes, which led to a singles match. Literally, the only way to make Gacy and the Dyad less interesting to me is to put them in a feud with Briggs and Jensen. This was absolutely brutal. So Jensen fought Gacy. Jensen's ring gear for this match included the tightest jorts you have ever seen, a huge belt buckle, cowboy boots, and the most disgusting curly mohawk. Gacy did a handstand on the ropes for no reason whatsoever. The dyad stalked Fallon Henley outside. That distracted Briggs. It led pretty deadly to run in for a distraction. Gacy then hit Jensen with the lariat to win in three minutes. How many people are going to get beat with lariats in NXT, by the way? The high-low and the lariat. It's like everyone uses them and no one has finishers. Gacy then begged Grimes to let him fill the emptiness in his soul. A fan, as he finishes promo, yelled, Gacy likes pineapple on pizza. It was probably the most entertaining part of the entire segment because it actually made me laugh out loud. Brutal may have been a kind word for this entire thing. This is all trash and it's just not going to get over. I don't know what NXT is thinking here. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. That is one big pile of shit. So, I mean, as much as you guys know, I do appreciate what NXT is doing. And many of the segments from Tuesday night that I just went through, I was positive and I praised them. There are certain things that are happening with this product right now that are just unforgivable when it comes to wrestling television. And maybe none of them is is more unforgivable than forcing the grizzled young veterans to shave their beard, change their names, and be the dyad. It's, it's absolutely absurd. Plus, you have Gacy being the, uh, what is it, grand value or market value version. I forget what it is. I don't really shop at Walmart. But that version, great value, great value version of Bray Wyatt. It's not working. He's nowhere close to as charismatic, nor anywhere near as good in the ring. Just change this. Do something different, please. With NXT now in the books, let's move over to AEW. I thought there were two segments on Dynamite that were just fantastic and stood out far above the rest of the show. Those were the main event and the women's tag team match. The rest of it was perfectly fine. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't really much to write home about. Rampage, as I mentioned, it just wasted an hour of my life this week. So we're going to go break down both of these shows and we do it by topic. So we may combine a little bit of Rampage and Dynamite together. But of course, we are going to break down everything that happened this week in AEW. So on Rampage, Claudio Castagnoli got You Deserve It Chance as Tony Schiavone declared him a world champion because of the Ring of Honor title. We've already discussed whether that's legitimate last week on the show, so I'm not going to repeat myself. He thanked the fans and said it was an honor before welcoming Wheeler Yuta, who was immediately interrupted by Chris Jericho. Yuta said he was so confident after beating Daniel Garcia, he could beat Jericho. It wound up with a dynamite match with Jericho's interim AEW world title opportunity against Jon Moxley on the line in the match. The crowd was into Yuta, so the segment got over, but the creative here had to either be Jericho beating the pure champion or losing his title shot, neither of which is really a good option from a creative standpoint. So I was a little surprised they did this match. So on Dynamite, we got Jericho and Yuta. Jericho's title shot against Mox was on the line, as I said. Mox cut a promo earlier saying he didn't care who wins because he has no respect for anyone once the bell rings. He said the Blackpool Combat Club would make the Heart Dungeon look like a daycare. Typically great promo for Mox. Claudio came down before the bell of the match to even the sides, but the JAS guys immediately got ejected and Claudio left with them. So they really did the whole thing just for an entrance pop for Claudio. 
Yuta powered out of Walls of Jericho and took advantage when Jericho got distracted arguing with the referee. He hit three tope suicidas. One of them was good, plus a flying crossbody for a near fall. Jericho did a double underhook backbreaker, but Yuta got knees up on the line salt. Jericho caught him flying with a codebreaker for a 2.8 and then traded the hammer elbows. Uh, but Yuta grabbed his broken nose and then locked him into a submission. Jericho grabbed his bat, but when the referee tossed it, he low-blowed Yuta with a kick to the nuts. Yuta ducked Judas effect and got Jericho in a seatbelt, but he escaped and put Yuta in the lion tamer for the win. Jericho kept it locked on very long after the bell until Mox eventually made the save and Jericho dipped out of the ring before he could touch him. Jericho grabbed a mic and promised Mox would get the Lionheart next week. This was maybe the best Jericho's look in the ring in a good while. No surprise it came against Yuta. Extremely strong main event with, I thought, a perfect finish. Jericho beating the pure champion was ignored, which is to be expected because you don't want to point it out, but it was nevertheless an issue with the booking, as I noted previously. Other than that, this was a great way to build next week's main event, make Yuta look good against a legend. I went 3.5 stars and a B. On Dynamite, Undisputed Elite hit the ring for the second segment of the show. Adam Cole said it was great to be back in the ring with his friends, but he's not medically cleared. He put over their faction for their talent and said loyalty brought him to AEW with the Young Bucks and Red Dragon. Cole said he wants them to win the trios tournament, but they can't participate if he's not cleared. And he said Kyle O'Reilly isn't cleared and they won't choose Bobby Fish. So therefore, they shouldn't be in the tournament. So as he said that, everyone's kind of like standing around looking like, all right, and? And then all of a sudden, Bobby Fish like, calmly gets around Nick Jackson and chokes him out. O'Reilly kicked Matt's knee, then Cole super kicked Matt. Matt's neck was about to be sandwiched in a chair when Hangman Adam Page ran in with a pipe uh, and a tucked-in wife beater to make the save. And I I point out the tucked-in wife beater because it looked extremely weird and it did not suit his body type, let's say. It it looked odd. Uh, He held up Matt with a handshake and then he left the ring by himself. The crowd popped really big for Page and for the save and for the whole type of segment. I can't really say the same myself. I did like that it was used as a method to get Hangman and the Bucks back together. But the concept of the EVPs not knowing the status of Cole and O'Reilly, and then Cole and O'Reilly being in the ring, cleared for television, without being cleared for action, and then those guys saying, okay, it's not going to be Cole or O'Reilly, but we're also just not going to choose Bobby Fish. It it was odd, the whole thing. The, the, The... The conceptualization of this to me didn't really make sense. And we still don't exactly know why Cole turned. Now, obviously we can get that answer next week and I'm sure we will, but you would hope in the moment or because this happened in the second segment of the show that by the end of the show, the undisputed era guys, the the, the trio are maybe walking back to the parking lot and someone's running up to them. Hey, what was that all about? Why did you break away from the elite? You know, Adam Cole, you guys don't deserve to know. Maybe we'll tell you next week on Dynamite. They used to do that all the time in AEW. I vividly remember like Kenny Omega and Don Callis running out of the parking lot and them being chased by Alex Marvez. AEW's done this plenty. WWE has done it a number of times where something happens early in the show and later in the show, they go back and ask them about it. The idea that they would do that, this big moment that was promoted, by the way, all week, the return of the Undisputed Elite, and then never follow up on it to me was just extremely strange, and I don't really understand why they did that. So I am curious to see the next steps. Does Kenny Omega return? Does he impede that trio? Um, if they all just wind up fighting in the finals of the, tri- finals of the trios tournament, the Elite versus Adam Cole and Red Dragon, that's going to be so freaking predictable and a huge eye roll, even though the match will be great. I mean, that's where it seems to be going. If I had to bet money on it right now, I would bet that both of those trios are in the tournament, and they wind up fighting each other either in the semifinals or the finals, and one of the two ultimately wins. Again, it shouldn't be either of them. That's where this seems to be going. On Rampage, Britt Baker said Thunder Rose's title reign would come to an end soon, but she's been smart keeping Tony Storm by her side, given she's such a threat. I was just happy Britt didn't bury the champion again. Granted, the champion wasn't there to be buried. Still, she didn't do it. On Dynamite, we had Thunderstorm against Baker and Jamie Hayter. The heels gear looked just like Cody Rhodes' Homelander stuff, the blue, the red, the gold. Uh, Storm got the hot tag and ran through both women plus Rebel. Thunder got a Death Valley driver on Baker. The referee was completely blind to Rebel standing on the ring apron right next to him without any type of distraction. 
Baker caught Storm for an avalanche air raid crash and a stomp, with Rosa flying in for a missile dropkick to the back of Hader's head. Tagging completely stopped at this point. Baker countered Rosa into an air raid crash, but Storm caught her with a tornado DDT. Hader then took out Storm with a Uranagi-style backbreaker. The faces hit German suplexes and Storm delivered four consecutive hip attacks, only to accidentally nail Rosa when trying a fifth. Hader took advantage of the confusion, catching Storm with a ripcord lariat for the win in 12 minutes. Great match here and a big spot for Hader to get over with the fall. It was definitely booked counter to expectation, but the entire setup with Storm accidentally hitting Rosa, that's gonna create some tension in their friendship. I presume we're gonna get Rosa Storm again at All Out with the title changing there. My only gripe was, again, they just completely stopped tagging over the final five minutes of the match, which is a symptom of all AEW tag team matches, but they were doing so well up until that point that I just, it, it took away stuff for me in the finish. I didn't really know who the legal women were, but I still gave it 3.75 stars and a B plus. This also started at 8.40 p.m. Eastern. It was so nice to get a big women's match in the first hour of the show. I think it was the second match on the card. It was so good to see that, have them at a different time. I thought, oh, maybe there's gonna be a second match, women's match on the show. There wasn't, of course, because God forbid, AEW put two women's matches on one show. But for what we got in this match, it was very good. I thought it was the best segment of hour one of Dynamite on Wednesday. On Dynamite, uh, Excalibur said there was a wild scene, quote unquote, between Christian Cage and Jungle Boy earlier in the day. That wild scene was Christian doing a backstage interview when Jungle Boy from like 100 yards away, maybe even more, sped into the arena in a car, got out, and was immediately swarmed by security and removed from the building. Christian wanted him arrested for doing what? I don't know. I just kind of shook my head at the whole thing. I don't even understand why security stopped Jungle Boy. He's allowed to be there. So what what was the issue? I don't get it. So he got Christian against Matt Hardy in a scheduled match. Matt was driven backwards into the steel steps. Christian drove his knee into his head. Christian hit a diving headbutt for a near fall. Hardy caught him with side effect for a near fall of his own. Then he hit another on the apron and grabbed a table. Christian sold two table shots where his head didn't even come a foot from hitting the table itself. Hardy tried a running elbow off the apron. Christian moved and Hardy crashed through the table. Christian then rolled him into the ring and hit the kill switch for the victory. Christian went to hit the concerto after the bell. Luchasaurus's music hit. He's still using the heel theme despite not being a heel anymore. To distract Christian, Jungle Boy then ran in from the blind side with a chair. Christian avoided it. JB was wearing a shirt that literally read, Christian is a pussy. Uh, They're going to wind up having a entertaining match at All Out. I have no doubt about that. But this feud is not hitting whatsoever for me. I thought it was a very high effort match. 2.75 stars, C plus, maybe three stars, B minus. Good effort from both those guys. It was only the fourth time they ever wrestled each other singles on TV or pay-per-view. Christian has won the last two. Matt won the first two. And the last time Matt beat Christian one-on-one was 19 years ago, back in 2003. I just thought that was a pretty cool stat. On Dynamite, Daniel Garcia called himself the Dragon Slayer because he knocked out Brian Danielson last week on Dynamite. It may have been his best promo so far in AEW, even if he kind of just repeated himself over and over again for 30 seconds. There was a smarmy video package on Dynamite about Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti getting married. Eddie Kingston interrupted it saying, this is a wrestling show. Let's cut out all the bullshit. He said he got a contract set for a match with Sammy at All Out and it was sent over for him to sign. This is gonna be a good match. It's not really pay-per-view worthy though. Like the feud was between Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho and Kingston never got up on Jericho. But now he's still feuding with the JAS and now Sammy in particular. So we have Kingston, JAS, BCC. It's ongoing. It seems like it's never gonna end. Kingston's promo was great as usual, but that's really all there was to it. After a video package aired on Dynamite showing Powerhouse Hobbs' turn on Ricky Starks last week, Taz made some grand statement into the camera that he's not in the loop with Team Taz business and therefore Team Taz is over, even though he wishes the best to all three guys. Well, one of them is his son. So I hope he's wishing the best to his son. Team Taz hasn't been together in months. We've been talking about it on this show every week. When's the last time you saw Ricky Starks, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Hook all together, let alone with Taz alongside all three of those guys? And how could Taz not know what's happening with his son and two handpicked guys? The whole concept of this, of Taz making this declaration was absurd. 
it, like it was the team's been over. So, what, you know, he could have just offhandedly said, yeah, you know, Team Taz just kind of withered away and broke up a few weeks ago. And instead, he like made this grand proclamation. It was so odd. Hobbs fought Ren Jones, a jobber. He drove him into the corner at, at the bell and squashed his ass with a knee on the chest for the one, two, three in a minute. Starks ran down to attack immediately after the bell. The referee tried to pull him off, so he shoved the ref. That gave Hobbs an opening to hit a huge spine buster. I thought the post-match between Hobbs and Starks was perfect. Great execution, very entertaining. Everything that preceded it did not need. On Rampage, best friends fought Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh. Dutt wore dress clothes and kept a pencil behind his ear. Orange Cassidy snapped it in half and knocked him out with an orange punch and got the win. Singh was lightly held on the apron. He never got in the match. He did a shoulder tackle and held Orange by the hair so lethal injection could be hit on him after the bell. Wardlow made the save and stared down all three guys. They just left. My only thoughts were, really, Satnam Singh is scared of Wardlow? And is this really the best we can do with Wardlow? So move over to Dynamite. We had Orange against Lethal in a singles match. This started with five minutes of comedy and a commercial with Cassidy selling a knee that got slammed into the steel steps. Orange ate an avalanche dragon screw, but got an easy rope break on a figure four leg lock. Orange countered into a cool stun dog millionaire before hitting a flying DDT and tornado DDT for a near fall. His knee gave out on an orange punch, but he hit beach break before failing on two more orange punches. He keeps trying it even though he knows his knee won't hold up. He eventually ate lethal injection for the clean loss. Sanjay immediately shit-talked Orange and mentioned Wardlow. Lethal threatened to break Orange's leg in the figure four if Wardlow didn't come out. Best friends ran down for the save, but that wasn't good enough, I guess. So Wardlow came out anyway and put his title down in the ring. Sanjay challenged for Battle of the Belts 3 on behalf of Lethal. Wardlow accepted. So apparently you can lose a Ring of Honor television title match, which you would think ranks well below the TNT title, but you can lose that and then just get a TNT title match just like that. Obviously, Wardlow's gonna win. As far as this match, after the early bullshit, it was actually pretty good. They gave Orange an injury excuse, sure, but I don't know why you don't have Lethal beat Chuck or Trent instead of making Orange take the loss. It didn't really make any sense, but I did give it 3.25 stars and a B. Miro cut another taped promo at House of Black on Dynamite. Same as all the rest of them. It's monotonous. It's repetitive. Where's Miro? When, when am I going to see him on TV? While tattooing his own hand, Darby Allen said, he's the reason Brody King is in AEW because he talked to Tony Khan and got him a job. Then he showed the tattoo, which read, the coffin drops on Brody King. If this is a real tattoo, and he did it in the palm of his hand for a mid-card wrestling feud without a title, completely not special at all, holy shit. I will say this. This was way better than those stupid vignettes with cars that were on fire in a random field. But this coffin match feels like a huge jump for next week. Like, just from feuding and all of a sudden it's a coffin match. I mean, the guy beat him in what? It was a battle royal, that that rampage royal, whatever they called it, royal rampage. And now it has to immediately go to a coffin match. Darby has to be on pace to have more coffin and body bag matches than The Undertaker had at this point in his career. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if like two years from now, Darby Allen has more coffin matches than The Undertaker did in his entire career. I'd have to do the math on it, but that's just how it feels to me. On Rampage, Lee Moriarty fought Matt Seidel. Seidel hit a couple big kicks and the lightning spiraled for a near fall. Stoke walked out to watch Moriarty, which distracted Seidel. Then he interfered with Seidel without Moriarty knowing. Moriarty knocked him off the top rope and hit a face buster for a near fall. Then he locked him in a crossface for the submission victory. This time, Moriarty took Stokes' card. Good segment overall. Stokes' best skill is his mouth, and we hardly ever hear him speak. I'd find that to be weird. On Rampage, Ethan Page fought Leon Ruffin, the former Leon Ruff. This was a match built off of Dark. Page won in a squash with Ego's Edge, as Stokely Hathaway and Leela Gray watched backstage. Dan Lambert was nowhere to be found. His absence wasn't mentioned. This should have been on Dark. I know they were building for something on Dynamite, but man, it just was a waste of time. AEW only has three hours of TV. I don't know why this shit is featured. In Dynamite, uh, Paige was back in the ring with a mic screaming as usual and asking, why? Why am I not on TV more? Why am I not being featured by AEW? Stoke walked out to stand behind him as he continued ranting about some of the baby faces and how fans always have their backs but never have his back. 
Stoke whispered in his ear and then gave him a card before leaving. Page ended up meeting him on the ramp and they walked up the ramp together. Definitely a fan of Stoke growing a faction, don't get me wrong. But is he separated from Jade Cargill and the baddies? Because that's now like three or four straight shows that they haven't been together. And Layla Gray's been by his side, but she's the one that Jade didn't want in the baddies. So unless I'm missing something, it kind of feels like they've just ended that and given Stoke something new, but explained neither of them. Paige is a really damn good promo. The screaming aspect of it is just completely unnecessary. He needs to tone it down like 25%. And again, it just continues to be odd that Men of the Year existed. Now it's over. Lambert was his mouthpiece and their mouthpiece. Now he's gone and there's no explanation. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad Lambert is off my television. I was done with American Top Team like six months before it actually ended, maybe even longer. But I'd like explanations and ends and, and tie put bows around storylines. They didn't do that here. They didn't do it earlier. I just mentioned with some other stuff, Team Taz. I mean, I guess technically they did put a bow on Team Taz, but it was nonsensical, the bow that they put on it. It was a bow that didn't tie. So it's just, it's a mess. Um, again, this is just a huge gripe with AEW overall. We'll have storylines or pairings or alignments, and there's just not an explanation when they come to an end. I wish they did it better. On Rampage, the acclaimed did a music video for Trash Day. I thought it was their worst one yet, and I actually thought their first two were pretty good. The challenge was a dumpster match on Dynamite. So we got the acclaimed versus Gun Club in a dumpster match. Billy Gunn was attacked during the entrance, and then the acclaimed took out both ass boys with a trash can before the bell. And they did that so that Max Caster could rap. And it was worth it because he delivered one of his top two or three lines all time. No filter, I ain't Instagram. We make the ass boys retire like Vince McMahon. Fucking hilarious, perfectly executed. As the rap ended, the guns attacked, which proved really stupid in kayfabe that they got up on these guys with all these trash can shots and then just blew their advantage by letting them recover. Anthony Bowens got powerbombed into a dumpster right away. Caster got dumped in right away, but they stopped the lids from closing. Bowens got thrown off a dumpster into four trash cans. Caster caught Colton on the top of the tunnel and nicely tossed him into a dumpster. Then he hit a huge mic drop on Austin through a table, put him in the dumpster and got the win. They zip tied the lids closed and ran the dumpster off the stage. The wrap and the finish were nails. So again, the start and the finish, great. Everything in between was kind of crappy. But the entire thing, was it entertaining? Hell yes, it was entertaining. I'm also just kind of surprised that the ass boys actually stayed in the dumpster for the spot. Like Terry Funk got hurt doing the exact same thing a few decades ago. It's unnecessarily dangerous. And there was an easy way for them to just dip out the back of the dumpster. Like you cut a hole, you allow them to dump off the back backstage, and then you dump the entire thing off the stage. So it was repetitive, obviously a callback, to the Terry Funk spot, or Chainsaw Charlie, I think it was at the time. But also, it was unnecessarily dangerous for them to be in there. So that's, again, one of those things where it's like, AEW does something cool, but why did they have to do it that way? They didn't. On Rampage, Ruby Soho fought Anna Jay. Ruby's promo was solid. Anna's was awful. This match was contested in sand. They were going so slow. Anna hit a gory bomb for a near fall and tried the Queen Slayer, but Ruby escaped it and hit no future, which used to be her finisher but she only got a near fall on Anna freaking J. She airmailed the flying senton and Anna used an illegal cast to choke out Ruby. It was supposed to be the cast was hidden from the referee, but it was in plain view. Like they, the referee was staring at the choke out and you could see the cast underneath her arm did nothing. So it was an illegal submission victory. It was just executed poorly. Remember when Ruby Riot or now Ruby Soho was going to be quote used better in AEW? Now she's losing to Anna J. I know Anna is now Anna JAS, and she just joined a new faction, so she should be getting pushed. She can beat other people besides Ruby. Anna also cut a promo on Dynamite. It was so grating. And then she choked out some random dude backstage for no reason. And lastly, on Rampage, Cole Carter was backstage when the factory interrupted an interview. QT Marshall made three different references to NXT and the D'Angelo family, making him an offer he can't refuse to join the factory. Massive eye roll, and again, something that should be on Dark, why is an unsigned wrestler in a low-card faction getting time on one of AEW's three hours of TV each week? I can't get Miro or Andrade or Roosh in a match or Pentagon or Phoenix. Like, like I, I can name names. I, I can go through 25 people, Swerve, Keith Lee. 
I can't get people that I want to see on TV, but I get Cole Carter, who I have no reason to care about, and The Factory, who I have a reason not to care about. It's a total waste of time. So again, this is those last two matches or, or segments is exactly the reason why Rampage most weeks is completely skippable and why sometimes it really does pain me to watch that show. But overall, the storytelling and some of the matches and segments that we got on Dynamite, extremely solid. Like I said, each hour, the first and second hour had one thing that really hit for me. It was the women's tag team match in the first hour, Chris Jericho against Wheeler Yuta in the second hour. And I do think the Jericho Mox match uh, for the AEW Interim World Championship, it's going to be super exciting at Quake by the Lake. But again, here we are with a one-week reprieve before another AEW special show. By the way, it's Quake by the Lake, which I'm assuming they'll do over two nights because they're going to tape Rampage. And then they also have Battle of the Belts next week. So it's like two or three special shows all in one week, as I continue saying, and I'll keep repeating it until AEW stops. If every show is special, none of the shows are special. So that is your AEW recap for the week. And that is how we will wrap up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast as we covered everything that went down across NXT and AEW. As I said, we will be back on Tuesday with our next WWE show. I am so excited to see what's gonna happen on this first full SmackDown under Triple H leading creative and seeing if it's going to be similar to what we got Monday night on Raw, a very highly and heavily praised edition of Raw. Is SmackDown going to be similar? What's that second Raw going to be like? Is it going to be very wrestling heavy again? Or was that just to kind of set a tone and now they're going to move more into a normal mix of storylines and wrestling matches? I don't really know. But again, I said this before Raw on Monday, I was anticipating that show more than maybe any TV episode I had in a very long time. I don't feel this exact same way for SmackDown. I am still excited for SmackDown, but I'm just really keen on what WWE has done thus far with Triple H's head of creative, and I am very excited to be able to discuss it on this upcoming Tuesday episode. So do not miss that, of course. Same bat time, same bat channel. We will be back one week from now with our next NXT AEW edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Before we get out of here, one more time, allow me to remind you that this show So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us five-star ratings on those platforms. And on Apple, acknowledge us with a five-star written review as well. Let everyone know why you listen and subscribe to the show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thank you all for once again listening to this edition of Getting Over. This is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.